point something out to you. There is a multitude in Revelation 7 around the throne from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. They're standing before the throne and they're singing, salvation belongs to our God. And the angels and the 24 elders are falling on their face in worship by this proclamation from human lips. And one of the elders leans over to John. There's 24 elders around the throne on 24 thrones. And one of them leans over to John and he goes, hey, who are these in the white robes with the, with the branches in their hand? He asks John the question. Of course, John answers well. He goes, well, you know, I, I don't know who they are. And the elder who stands before the throne of God, who has revelation like nobody's business, he's in the atmosphere that's pregnant with revelation, that's what he does. He answers John this way in verse 14. He says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. The great tribulation. And washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him night and day, day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall never hunger nor thirst anymore. He identifies this multitude. Listen to me, beloved. He identifies this multitude that's before the throne, that's worshiping God, that's causing tremors to go through the heavenly courts, that's causing the elders and the the living creatures to fall before God in worship at their song. He identifies them as people who have come out of the great tribulation. Let me tell you the way that you come out of the great tribulation you get martyred. That is a company of martyrs that nobody can number. Consider the implication. It's a vast crowd. It's a a stadium event beyond understanding the numbers. You can't can't estimate 100,000. It's beyond what you can number. And he says, these have come out of the great tribulation. They are martyrs. They've laid down their life for the testimony of the man Christ Jesus. They've given themselves willingly in abandonment and have not denied the name of the Lord. And now they are before the throne of God. They serve God before the throne night and day. And the Lord is among them. That is powerful. And what's striking my soul is this, that the way that the elder that's before the throne of God thinks about the season of time that they came out of is he names it with precision and clarity. He doesn't call it a great tribulation. He calls it the great tribulation. The one time in the earth when the tribulation is great in a global measure. Beloved, that is a time that is before us. That is a time that is in front of us. And so I want to begin to move through the outline with that in our minds, that there is a time coming that the courts of heaven and all the heavenly hosts, what they think of it is, it is the great tribulation. What does it mean for the heavenly elders to say that that time is a great tribulation? They do not exaggerate in heaven. 
They say it as it is. And for heaven to call it the great tribulation, it absolutely is the time that fulfills what Jesus prophesied. He said there's coming a time of tribulation upon the earth that will be greater than any other time in history or ever shall be. That time is before us, beloved. So let's begin to move through the outline. And I want to identify these time frames. We've got to get this picture in our minds. We have got to become ones that are artisans of, of eschatology. We, we must know what this thing is. Not that we're building eschatology, but that we're understanding it. We're, we're masterful with it. That the prophetic scriptures are, are alive in us, causing our hearts to be, to be uh, launched into urgency. So let's look at this. Let's move through the outline. There are three prophetic time frames at the end of the age. They are distinct. And the, the Bible passages that we identify those from include, but they're not limited to, Daniel 9, Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm giving you these verses and I'm giving you outlines so you can take away the outline and go study them. We must get past just getting a word and forgetting it by the next weekend. We've got to get these things rooted in our hearts. Grounded. The word of God grounded within us. And so there's the verses. And it, it, they identify these three prophetic time frames. I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. I have part of the, the uh, verses in the outline, but I really want to identify a few things from it. Now last week, we went through Matthew 24... And we, we explained in detail the season of time that is known as the beginning of birth pangs. There are at least seven global trends that take place in the earth that are identifiable over time that Jesus identified as the beginning of birth pangs. And when we see in the earth the fulfillment of that prophetic uh, promise that there's a coming beginning of birth pangs, when we see that, it lets us know that we are in the time of the end. And I illustrated last week in detail how each one of those seven that are identified in Matthew 24 are right now in this generation spiking in terms of their intensity as it relates to all of human uh, existence. Right now in this generation, they are going off the charts. And so for that to be a reality, we must look into Matthew 24 and then our hearts must be instructed that it's clear Jesus was trying to give us the, the uh, evidence, biblical evidence that we could point to and say, when these things are happening, the time of the end is near. And so because those things are happening in the earth today, we must be instructed in heart. Our hearts must um, have indication that we're in this season uh, 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 of the end. And these things are happening in a great frequency and a great intensity. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. The labor pains are speaking of the great tribulation. The beginning of birth pangs tell us that the environment is getting set. But the hard labor, the labor pains speak of the great tribulation. That which the elder was talking about at the throne. And they shall not escape. Look at verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of the light. And sons of the day. 
And we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let us not be asleep as others do, and let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Why? Because God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. The admonition from 1 Thessalonians 5 is that sobriety and hearts that are awake will be able to discern what the Lord is doing at the end of the age. But if we are asleep and if we are drunken in our mentalities, we will be swept away with those that are drunk, that are of the night. That's the implication he's trying to give us. He's saying, wake up and be sober. Wake up and be sober. I tell you, if there is a word right now to the church in the West, it's wake up and be sober, church. Wake up and be sober. And that's why when we get on these chorus that say, wake us up, wake us up, what happens is all of a sudden we're, left, we're lifting up a prophetic intercessory cry, not just on our behalf, surely on our behalf, because we've got to be awake, but on behalf of the church in the city. On behalf of the church in the land, wake us up, wake us up, wake us up. And here's the deal. We've been asleep for so long. We've pressed the snooze button so much. We're in such a dream state. We can't tell the difference between being awake and being asleep. Wake us up. Let us be sober. Let us be watchful. Let us be alert. Why? Because I do not want the day to overtake us like a thief. And I am struck with this. How much of what we are building right now will stand when shaking hits it in a dramatic measure? If I build a building on a fault line, there has got to be all sorts of technology, all sorts of uh, unique things I've got to put into that structure to enable that structure to stand when shaking comes, when that fault shifts. If I build any old sort of building... That thing will fall quickly. If I build a building for height without putting all sorts of earthquake, you know, technology in that thing, that thing will fall so fast. And I'm struck with this. How much of what we are building is about building as big as we can without building it for soundness in a day of shaking that's right before us, beloved. We're spending hours and and so much money and and so much energy on building as big as we can. And we're building on a fault line called the judgment of God. We've got to be woken up and we've got to be sobered in this hour that that day doesn't overtake us like a thief. So this scripture, it identifies for us... uh, one of the prophetic time frames, the first I mentioned was the beginning of birth pangs. The second is a time of worldwide peace and safety. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains, the great tribulation. So here's what it is in C, they're on page one. The, the worldwide peace and safety, it's a time of peace and it's counterfeit because it's not about peace for peace's sake, it's about peace for the time that Antichrist will come and he will, he will allure the nations uh, through a, a false promise of peace all the while he's setting it up to bring massive devastation upon the nations. 
And this thing, this time of false peace and safety, it's initially instituted by a covenant that this man who is, he's what the Bible calls Antichrist. This man will come and he will be the answer for the chaos that the birth pangs are going to bring. There will be an international leadership vacuum. The leaders of nations will be looking for strong leadership to help steady the ship because the birth pangs will be hitting with such frequency and such intensity. The world is going to be in a global state of chaos. And they're going to need confederations and alliances between nations. And this man is going to come and he's going to sign a treaty, a covenant with many. Daniel 9 tells us that he's going to sign a covenant with many. And that covenant will be for one seven-year period of time. If you have the New King James, it calls it a week. If you have the NIV, it calls it a seven. He's going to sign a seven-year covenant And for three and a half years of that seven-year covenant, things are going to look good. It will look as if the earth is all of a sudden entering into a time of safety, a time of peace. And this man is going to work out this covenant with many, and it's going to have to do with Israel. It's going to have to do with the Muslim nations in the Middle East and other countries as well. And how do we know that it's going to have to do with the Muslim countries? Because the implication from Daniel 9, this is all in your notes, I'm just saying it to you. The implication from Daniel 9 is this. The temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. For that to happen, this man is going to have to be able to bring together the Muslim nations in some sort of a fantastic way to be able to get them to agree with Israel to allow Israel to rebuild that temple. Just a few weeks ago, there was a repair uh, taking place to one of the ramps that leads up to the Temple Mount. And the, the construction teams came in, and this is really just happened just a few weeks ago. And when those construction teams came in, all of a sudden, a bunch of the Muslims there on the Temple Mount began to riot. And they rushed into the Dome of the Rock, that, that, that mosque there that's right there on the Temple Mount site. And they begin to riot and they begin to call uh, an outcry to their Muslim brothers and sisters to demonstrate because they were saying that this was an infringement upon the Temple Mount. And all they were trying to do was rebuild a ramp. Our Scott Keller was just there and he actually walked up that ramp that they rebuilt. But can you imagine what this man, this, this, uh, the Antichrist is going to have, what kind of influence and, and uh, ability to sway and move nations so much so that he's going to be able to sign a covenant that's going to allow the Jews to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. How is he going to be able to do that? He is going to be operating in such a false anointing such a false demonic diplomacy, he's going to be able to move the nations by uh, demonic influence. I believe he will be possessed with Satan himself. He's not going to just be demonically inspired. I believe he will be possessed with the devil himself. Revelation 13 gives us... uh, strong implication that he is given all of his authority by Satan himself. Satan, the Bible says, Satan gives this man Satan's throne. And this man is going to be able to move the nations and he is going to be the answer to this international leadership vacuum. 
He is going to be the answer to bring, you know, quote unquote, peace in the nations. It is a false peace because all the while this man will be plotting. He will be scheming and be subtly bringing uh, the nations of the earth and Israel to dullness so he can strike against them at the right time. And what will happen is things will begin to look business as usual. I'm in two now under C on page one. They'll begin to look business as usual, and it will be a fulfillment of what Jesus talked about in 20, Matthew 24, 38. People will be eating and drinking and making merry. It will, it will seem like all the tumult of the birth pangs has settled. And so what happens is there's this mindset of peace and safety that happens in the earth. It's after the birth pangs, and it's before the great tribulation. So it's a three and a half year period of time. And what it tells us in Daniel 9, 27 is somewhere near the middle of that last seven years of of, uh, human existence in this age, somewhere near the middle of it, this man, this, this, the Antichrist, he will break this covenant with Israel. And he will see, he will cause the uh, religious services to cease in the temple And the Bible tells us he will perform something called the abomination of desolations. Daniel 9 calls it that which makes desolate. The abomination which makes desolate. The abomination of desolations is the initial uh, triggering event of the great tribulation. And look at Matthew 24, 21. There's Jesus telling us what the great tribulation will look, at, look like. Then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world unto this time. No, nor ever shall be. Great tribulation from the mouth of Jesus. Daniel 12, it says, At that time there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. So the Great Tribulation is our third prophetic time frame. It is the last three and a half years of this age, and it's culminated by the day of the Lord events and the return of the Lord Jesus to the earth. That's what culminates the Great Tribulation. All right, let's look at Roman numeral two. It is a literal 42-month period of time, and it, it's, it's initiated by the abomination of desolation. I wanted to put these verses in 2 Thessalonians right there in front of you so you get a picture of what's going to happen. When Antichrist breaks the covenant with Israel and breaks the covenant with many, he will storm Jerusalem. He will march on Jerusalem, and he will actually, he won't just cause the sacrifices to cease in the temple. He will actually enter the temple, go into the holy place, And he will stand in the holy place of the rebuilt temple and he will declare to the world, I am God. You no longer need to sacrifice anymore. He'll say to the Jews, I am your Messiah. He'll say to the Christians, I am Jesus. I have returned. He will say to the Islamic world, I am the prophet that is to come. And he will do his best to to, uh, bring a, a... false unity as the God over over multiple religions and he will say this man possessed by the devil 
We'll say with demonic anointing upon him, he is God. And right now, beloved, there is such a move of pluralism in the earth. It is absolutely a setup for an antichrist system of worship. There's something called the One Campaign that is unifying people right now around world hunger, around the issue of world hunger. And Bono is one of the main uh, speakers, one of the main leaders of this campaign. And what he's done is he's gone and he's read from the Quran, he's read from uh, the Jewish holy books, and he's read from the Bible uh, uh, ideas that talk about dealing with uh, taking care of the poor, the earth. And he says, let's put down all of our religious differences and let's unite together and let's take care of the poor. My God says we should take care of the poor. What does your God say? He actually did that in a presidential breakfast. And you can go online right now and you will read and you will find Christian organizations that believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. And they have united together with uh, Muslims and people that uh, deny Jesus. And they've united together in a pluralistic movement to stop uh, poverty in the nations. I tell you, those kind of movements that are in the earth right now, it's a setup for an antichrist system. It's a setup for an antichrist system. Do we think that the poor of the earth should be taken care of? Absolutely. Do we believe world hunger should be addressed? Absolutely. Do we believe that we should put aside Jesus Christ as the only way to God and unite with false religions to see that become a reality? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That, beloved, is an antichrist spirit. And when the Antichrist storms Jerusalem and he walks into the temple, there will have been so much pluralist propaganda like the one campaign and all sorts of other things up to that point. And he stands and he says, I am God. And he'll name multiple religions. He'll say, I am your Messiah. Many in the earth will follow this man. He will have a demonic anointing upon him like no one has ever seen. Adolf Hitler would go and he would proclaim, and people would go to Adolf Hitler's uh, uh, Nazi rallies. They would go in there to, uh, to criticize him and to, to write articles about him. And they would go and they would listen to him speak. And there was such an anointing upon Adolf Hitler. They would go in there to criticize and they would leave card-carrying members of the Nazi party. Adolf Hitler did no signs and wonders and miracles. The Antichrist at the end of the age will have a false prophet and they will do all manner of lying signs and wonders and miracles. Adolf Hitler will look like a minor leaguer compared to this man that's coming. There is a catalytic event that I discuss in B on the top of page 3. that's going to happen approximately at the same time as the abomination of desolations. This catalytic event is this. This man will suffer a deadly wound. The Bible is clear. He will suffer a deadly head wound. And it will look like he should die. And supernaturally, demonically, supernaturally, he will be raised. He will not die he will be healed. And the Bible says in Revelation 13 that the world will marvel. And I believe that will be the event that's the catalytic event that enables him to do the abomination of desolations. Because when the world sees him, quote unquote, rise from the dead in a mock resurrection, 
He will say, I am God. And with a demonic anointing, he will sweep masses toward his, toward his, to, to follow him. There it is, Revelation 13, 3. His deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So the final three and a half years, it is initiated by the abomination of desolations, the catalytic event that gives massive momentum to the, the worship of the beast is this deadly head wound. He will proclaim himself to be God, and in a very short period of time, he institutes something called the Mark of the Beast system. The Mark of the Beast system is something you've heard about, you've seen in the movie. You have to take a mark on your head or on your forehand. You will not buy or sell. You will not be able to buy or sell unless you take that mark. That mark is not simply uh, like an ID card. It is an act of worship. They will take that mark and they will swear allegiance to the beast and to the dragon, the Bible says, and to Satan. It will be a demonically, uh, uh, a demonic sign of worship and allegiance. He will institute it and he will, he will uh, put his uh, hand on the economics as the draw. He'll have signs and wonders and miracles from the religious side and he will choke the economics and demand men to take a mark in order to get their economics. And here's what it'll look like. Up until that point, Christians will be saying, I don't like that guy. There's that covenant thing. He broke the covenant. I don't think it's good. But then it'll look like this. Your bank account has just been frozen. You have to go get the mark. You've got to go get registered in order to get your money. Because you don't want your child to starve, do you? And so in that environment of pressure, where, where you know, demonized officials are enforcing the mark of the beast system, where false signs and wonders are breaking out, truth has got to be hidden in your inward parts. The love of truth has got to be your compass in that day. Because if your child is going hungry and the neighbors are telling you that you're an abuser because you won't go get uh, registered, the amount of pressure that will be on you to succumb to allegiance to this man will be intense. Can you imagine what the spiritual traffic's going to be like in that day? Come on, we have a little hard time talking to our coworker about Jesus. What's it going to be like when demonically inspired, demon-possessed government officials are telling you you can't get your bank account, you can't get your stocks, you can't write a check, your credit card doesn't work anymore unless you get registered? Are you just going to let your children suffer like that? So, D, the final three and a half years include 21 judgment events. These judgment events are initiated by Jesus himself. He is the one who opens the scroll in Revelation 5. He's given the scroll by the Father in Revelation 5. In Revelation 6, 1, he opens a scroll that initiates every judgment event that takes place, including, including Antichrist coming to power. Jesus initiates the judgment event that brings Antichrist to power. 
How is that possible, Jesus? Why would you do that? Well, A, Jesus is the one that's in charge of all the end time events. B, Jesus knows how to use the devil as his uh, stick to bring correction to the peoples of the earth. And I like what Dave Slyker said. He goes, the, the, the study of the end of the age, the study of eschatology is not about the sneaky bad devil who's got a plan that's going to all of a sudden, you know, do all these, you know, scary things and, and make us all follow him. It's about Jesus who's birthing a kingdom and he's the one who the sovereign God has employed to be in charge of all the events of the end of the age. The man Christ Jesus himself is the one who opens the first seal that causes Antichrist to arise. This is the God we serve, beloved. Do we have a palate for the God who loves the day of vengeance and loves tender mercies all at the same measure? Do we have a palate for that God? We sort of think he's merciful until he gets tired of, getting, of being merciful and then he just does wrath. No, for him, mercy is on 10, wrath is on 10. They're both good in the eyes of God. This is our God. This is the way he is. He doesn't think like we think. He's different than we think he is, beloved. And he is the God that uses the devil as a rod of correction for the nations. For his people and for the nations. And so what I want to do is I want to then now move through in the next few minutes some of the judgment events that the book of Revelation identifies. Now listen, in the Great Tribulation, there's far more things going on than just these 21 judgment events that I'm about to identify. But these are the epicenter of the activity of God in the earth. 21 successive judgment events that are coming on the planet. They're known as the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. They're in order. They are numbered, so they, we know they come one after the other. They're in order. They, go, they move in succession, and they increase in intensity. And every one of them lands in the last three and a half years of this age. All 21 of them land in a three and a half year period of time. Let's look at it. The first seal, Revelation 6.1, it talks about this rider on a white horse. This is Antichrist coming as a conqueror. He's bent on conquest. It's when, he, and this is the exact moment when he's breaking the covenant and, and doing the abomination of desolation. The first seal is that activity in the earth. This conqueror, the Antichrist, he comes, he proclaims himself as God. The first seal is the abomination of desolation event. It is the event that initiates the great tribulation. The second seal, peace, is taken from the earth. When Antichrist storms Jerusalem and his armies come and the, the, the nations that have confederated with him come, it stirs up multiple issues in the earth and he begins to crush the resistors. Daniel 11 gives us such clarity in how he puts down every nation that resists us, uh, resists him. Beloved, I want to tell you something. World War III isn't a, a, a possibility. It is a definite reality. World War III is coming. It's coming at the second seal. It is coming at the second seal. Peace will be removed from the earth. As a result of that war, the third seal, famine and economic crisis, will take place. 
And what I believe happens is this. Antichrist and, the, and his kingdom, they begin to stockpile food, and he actually controls the economics. And that's how he's able to introduce the Mark of the Beast system. You will not buy and you will not sell. Unless you have this mark. The Lord releases famine. The Antichrist kingdom uh, begins to stockpile what they can. And they begin to control international economics. That's when the mark of the beast system comes in place. And then the fourth seal is the fourth rider. Each of the first four seals, they're all, they're all depicted as riders on horses. The fourth seal is death. And what happens is one-fourth of the population of the earth dies. I want you to think about that one for a moment. A quarter of the planet's population dies. As a result of the famine and as a result of the war... And as a result of the mark of the beast system, all those things, pestilences, the Bible even says wild beasts begin to attack people. Strange. Men kill one another. And by the fourth seal, one-fourth of the planet's population is decimated. They estimate that by 2025, there'll be 10 billion people upon the planet. If that is the case... And say the fourth seal happened in 2025, that would mean 2.5 billion people across the face of the earth will die in that very, very short period of time. That's 10 times the population of America. Do you understand why we must be sober? The, sixth, the fifth seal discusses the mass martyrdom and how it, how it uh, invokes energy in the prayer movement. The sixth seal talks about global cosmic disturbances that shake every mountain and every island. They're moved out of their places. Global cosmic disturbances. Things in the sky, things in the earth. And it's at that sixth seal that men begin to realize that there's another power at work besides Antichrist, but that the God of heaven is now releasing judgment. They begin to say, let the rocks fall upon us. Let us hide in caves for, for the power of God. God is releasing his anger upon us. The seventh seal, it's interesting how the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet work. Both of them work similarly. The seventh seal, when that is opened, it actually opens all of the trumpet events. The next seven judgments are held within the seventh seal. So when Jesus opens the seventh seal, seven more judgment events come. And that the seventh trumpet, when that judgment event comes, the seven bowls then come. So the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet, they're the ones that initiate the next seven events. So within the seventh seal, if you can think of it this way, are the seven trumpets. The first trumpet, a third of the foliage, the earth, the trees, the grass, they're burned up. 
fire and heat begin to devour a third of the planet. Can you imagine what goes on in the atmosphere? What, what, what is the smoke to oxygen quotient? How does that work exactly? A third of the earth is burned up. Second trumpet. A third of the sea becomes blood. Somebody goes, well, brother, that's so, you know, how do you not know? I mean, that's, that seems like that's figurative. Well, if that's figurative, then that means that the water that turned to blood in Egypt was figurative too. And if that plague was figurative, then probably the Red Sea was figurative too. And if that's figurative, probably Noah and the ark was figurative too. No, when it's straightforward, when it's not clearly giving us a metaphor or a, a, a literary device, when it says the water became blood, that's what it is. A third of the sea is going to become blood. And a third of the creatures in the sea are going to die. And a third of the, the ships in the sea are going to be destroyed because of the blood. The water will be blood. When the water is blood and whales begin to die and they begin to be beached on the shore and they begin to rot, what do you think the atmosphere will smell like? Jesus was not exaggerating when he said, it's great tribulation like has never been on the planet before. Just because you don't have a vision for what that can be like does not mean it's not real. He said, a time is coming like has never been, no ever, nor ever shall be. Third trumpet, a third of the fresh water becomes bitter, poisoned. Many die throughout the planet. The fourth trumpet, there's some sort of an eclipse that happens where a third of the sun, a third of the stars, and a third of the moon are darkened. The fifth trumpet, demons are released and they torment those who do not have the seal of God. They are released and they sting men and it, this, this, this thing that they, this sore that they get from the sting Last five months, and it's so painful and so tormenting, the men wish to die, but they can't. And it only comes upon those who do not have the seal of God. It only comes upon those who are not believers. I believe that at the, the, uh, just prior to the first trumpet, God seals all the believers in the earth, and that the trumpet events have specific implications against those who have not been sealed by heaven, not protected. And I believe that's where our cities of refuge and the idea of pockets of mercy is absolutely in play when the trumpet judgments are going off. I believe it's hitting on those who, have, who are not born again. And those that are born again somehow are uniquely divinely protected. The sixth trumpet describes a third of mankind is killed. With, if you do the math, the judgment events from the fourth seal and the sixth trumpet identify that 50% of the earth's population will be decimated. 50%. If at the fourth seal you get a quarter, 
And then at the sixth trumpet, you get a third, half, at least half of the population of the earth will be decimated. If we do the math again, if it's 10 billion, that means 5 billion will die in the events leading all the way up to the sixth trumpet. To put that uh, in, in, uh, to give you a reference point for that, 50 million died in World War II. 5 billion will die in under three and a half years in the Great Tribulation. If the numbers are 10 billion. I mean, it's off the scale how much more intense this is than any other time in human history. The seventh trumpet opens the release of the bowls of wrath and, and it initiates the second coming event. And when we go through the bowls of wrath, these are the most severe things that come upon the planet. Foul sores in the first bowl appear upon all those who receive the mark. If you look at the bowls, the bowls are specifically directed upon those who have received the mark of the beast, whereas the trumpets seem to be directed upon those who haven't been sealed by God. It's like the trumpets are trying to uh, bring a pressing on people to, to run into God, whereas the bowls seem to be a, a retribution blow against those who have rejected God. Truly the wrath of God. Vindication for his, the name of his son and the, na- and the name of his bride. Vindication. So a foul sore, some sort of smell, a rotten, painful sore comes upon all those of the beast kingdom that have received the mark. Second bowl. The entire sea turns to blood. All sea life dies. Can, I mean, can you, do you have a picture of what it looks like if all the oceans are blood and every whale, every dolphin, every shark, every fish, every squid now floats to the surface and is beached and begins to rot? Can you imagine what the refuse and what the, the, the stench of that will look like? It's no wonder when he's coming, he's got to come in fire because he's got to burn up all the refuse that's on the planet from the bowls and the trumpets. Third bowl, the fresh water supplies all become blood. And the chorus in heaven says this, says, it's, Lord, it's right for you to give them blood to drink for they shed the blood of your servants. What's going to happen? All the fresh water supplies will be blood and men will actually drink blood. We don't have any grid for this, do we? It's it's almost like it's not even in the Bible. I mean, it's almost like it's not, it's like I'm not even reading the Bible. It's like I'm telling you a fairy, fairy tale. Beloved, this has got to become so real to us that it causes our hearts to tremble. It can't just be a a sober moment in a meeting when he won't get off the point about the bold judgments. It's got to be something that causes our heart to resonate with a tremble that would cause us to be prepared for these days. This is a shock. Men will drink blood because there will not be any water. Water. 
fourth bowl, the sun gets supernaturally charged and it actually scorches men. It burns men to death. Somehow men are getting burned, but the, the planet's not getting burned. It's some sort of supernatural uh, charging of the sun. Fifth bowl. Supernatural darkness and pain comes upon the throne and all those in the Antichrist kingdom. In the, the days on the plagues, on the ten plagues that hit Egypt, darkness came upon the, the, the people of Egypt. And it was, it was darkness, but it was more than just darkness. It was darkness with personality. They didn't move for three days. The Bible tells us when the darkness came upon the Egyptians, they didn't get out of bed for three days. If it's dark, you can get out of bed. But if it's darkness that's, that's gripping people with the fear of the Lord, they stay shuddering in their beds in Egypt. This is darkness with personality in the same way, but this is darkness with pain. And it's so painful, men are biting their tongues to try to give themselves a little relief from the pain of the darkness that's coming upon the beast's kingdom. You choose the devil, the the point is this, you choose Satan and you reap the, the benefit, the reward of what Satan is. Death, pain, and darkness. The sixth bowl, it's amazing because you would think that the inhabitants of the earth at this time would recognize that the God of the universe is supreme and more powerful than any supposed man who claims himself to be God on the planet. But here's what happens. A deceiving spirit, three deceiving spirits come out of the mouth of the Antichrist and the false prophet. Three deceiving spirits come out of their mouths and they go out to deceive the kings of the nations. And the kings of the nations come to make war against Jesus. Somehow they're deceived into believing that they can fight Jesus and win. And at this point is when, I mentioned it last week, there is a global military campaign that Jesus is initiating on the planet. And he's trotting through the nations. This is the culmination of the Day of the Lord event. The seventh bowl is the finality of the battle that is known as the Battle of Armageddon. There's much more to that, that last military campaign than just the Battle of Armageddon. There's multiple places that Jesus will be leading the armies of heaven and, and actually slaying these people that are, that are trying to oppose him. But during that battle, there will be hailstones that are 100 pounds. And, and when that thing is finalized, the greatest earthquake ever in human history hits the planet. Beloved, this is a sober reality of what the Bible tells us is coming. I pray that our hearts would be instructed, that we wouldn't look at these things and look away, but we would recognize there's something coming upon the planet that we have no grid for. I tell you, we have no grid for the beginning of birth pangs. What happens when the sixth trumpet is blown and 50% of the population of the planet has been decimated? If we can't stand a hurricane, where does that leave us when the first seal is popped and Antichrist arises? 
Oh, that we would be found watching and waiting. Oh, that we would be sober in this hour, that our hearts would be instructed. I tell you, there's urgency in my soul right now to proclaim what's in the scriptures, that our hearts would be instructed and we, we would be readied. We would be readied and not dull and not deluded and not blinded and not drunk. God, give us grace for this. I'm asking, Lord. Let's just stand to our feet. We must have a revelation of the knowledge of who our God is. We must understand his ways we must know his heart for when he begins to bring judgment events on the planet in this measure if we do not know him i guarantee our hearts will be offended our hearts will be offended the bible says that the birth pangs will cause the love of many to grow cold the chaos just from the birth pangs will cause the love of many to grow cold and the bible identifies this that in the last days there will be a massive falling away from the faith. And I believe while there's power upon the church and revival is breaking out, that many who have been in the church will fall away because their hearts will not be grounded in love and the knowledge of God. And they will be offended at the reality of who He is and what He's bringing upon the planet. He is the God of mercy. All of his judgment events are mercy, and here's the way he does. He does the least severe means necessary to bring the greatest number of people to voluntary love. And what you're seeing in the book of Revelation, the 21 judgments events, those are the least severe means necessary to bring the greatest harvest in at the end of the age. God, I pray that our hearts would be instructed. I pray, God, that we wouldn't look away. I pray, God, that we would look into these truths. Lord, I'm asking that you would grant revelation. God, we're raising a flag in the spirit, in this city, that something would be broken open, God, in our city, that people's hearts would be prepared for the day of the Lord. That the day of the Lord would not be a cliche event, but there would be imagery in the minds of men and women. They would understand that the great and terrible day of the Lord is a day that's in front of us. It's a day that's at hand. That the judgment events of the end of the age, they are coming. They are lumbering toward us like a giant. And God, we must be found watching and waiting, sober in spirit, God, alive and awake in heart and not drunk and deluded and asleep in this hour. God, I'm asking, help us and wake us up, God. Help us and wake us up, God. Let our hearts be readied. For real. God, I pray you release revelation of your great kindness. Revelation of your great mercy. That the knowledge of God would be our portion, God. That our hearts would be so clinging to you in this hour. That we would no longer be drunk on frivolity. Giving ourselves to mirth, God swayed by the spirit of the age but we would be found watching and waiting 